So a couple years ago, um, Jesse Itzler, a Silicon Valley serial entrepreneur, was in a race. It was a 100-mile race. He was there as part of a, a team of people that were competing. And uh, they had a support team that traveled with them, tents and food. They had a cook. They had masseuse. They had all kinds of support for them collectively each take turns running different legs in this 100-mile race. And one of the things that he noticed was that uh, there was this one guy who he will refer to after this simply as SEAL. He was a Navy SEAL. He noticed that SEAL was running this race alone and that he had no support. And he noticed over the course of this 100-mile race that SEAL got hurt. In fact, he broke bones in both of his feet and was in uh, liver failure, but he finished the race. And Itzler was just amazed. He says, you know what, I'm a pretty high-performing guy. He just sold his second company for hundreds of millions of dollars. He says, I'm a pretty high-performing guy. I'm, I'm a, a high-performing athlete. But at the same time, he said, there's another level that this guy had. There was another gear. There was another, there was something else that was going on. And he said, I, I just, I, I had to know, how did this guy do this? So he, um, he figured it out, he tracked him down, and he went out and, and talked to them. And he says, look, I want you to come and live with me for a, for a month. I want you to train me. And uh, so he did, and he has subsequently written a book called uh, uh, My, My Life with a Navy SEAL, 31 Days of Training with the Toughest Guy on the Planet. And it's sort of shot up the bestseller list, and it's full of little anecdotes about the, the, the first morning when uh, they go down, and he goes, the first assignment that uh, SEAL gives to, uh, to Jesse is he says, okay, do 100 pull-ups. And... Um, and Jesse says, well, <laughs> I can't actually do 100 pull-ups. And he says, oh, well, that isn't an option. <laughs> do 100 pull-ups, right? Hey, well, that, 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 we're just starting here. And so all these stories, and, and it, it sort of hit uh, social media and YouTube, and maybe you've seen some clips of this. And so one of the, one of the lines, that, one of the things that I've seen over and over is, um, is SEAL says, when you've collapsed, when you're in a pile, when you're completely spent, when you've given everything you've got, yeah, that's 40%, okay? You're not even halfway there yet. So, so this book is a bestseller because we love these kinds of stories and we need these kinds of stories and there's inspiration that comes with hearing about people that just keep going, right? The Rockies and the Rudies, and they just get back up and they just keep going and going. And so there's a whole industry out there of, you know, motivational speakers and books that tell you to never give up, never give in, right? Turn your lemon into lemonade and scars into stars. And, you know, just there's, there's a whole bunch of that. And, and we actually come across it today in the Gospel of Luke. We have Jesus saying, not the same thing that Seal says, not the same thing that, you know, not turn your scars into stars necessarily, but we have, we have Jesus telling us to be resilient. So it, it comes in, um, in the last part of Luke, we're, we're in the final chapters here, and we're in what I would call the, the slow zone, okay? It's, things have gone into slow motion. So the Gospels are called the Gospels for a couple reasons at least. First of all, they're called Gospels because they're good news. That's the Greek word evangelion, which gives us the English word evangelism, is good news. 
And uh, the Gospels are called Gospels, good news or the good message, because that's the essence of the Christian faith, right? Christianity is not this I do. It's not I'm going to try harder. It's not I'm going to will myself to be good so that God will love me. It's not I'm going to get more brownie points. I'm going to do more good than bad. It's not this I do. It's this he did, right? Religion is reaching up to God. The, the, the gospel says God came down to us, right? It, the gospel is we are worse than we possibly dared imagine, right? We're more broken, more complicated, more, more conflicted, more selfish, more full of darkness than we want to admit. But God's love and grace and mercy overpowers that. It's better than that. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's good news, right? It's good news. It's radically different. The gospels are called gospels because the gospel is good news. The gospels are also called gospels because they're not biographies. So, how do you describe a book? What do you call a book about somebody's life? Well, you call it a biography. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not biographies. Biographies give you a lot more information than, than the Gospels do. Right? We get a little bit, especially in Luke, not really anything in Matthew and, and Mark. We get a little bit about Jesus' birth because it's different, right? His life didn't begin at conception like ours did. He pre-existed, the, he pre-existed coming to life or, or taking on a human form at the Incarnation. So we get a little bit of that. Mostly what we get is, is some of what happens in the last three years of Christ's life. But most of what we get is what happens during the last week of Christ's life. So a third of the Gospel of Luke is dedicated to the last week of Christ's life. Half of the Gospel of John is dedicated to the last week of Christ's life. So the Gospels, in one sense, are accounts of Christ's death with long introductions. They're not biographies. So it all slows down so that we understand the focal point is Christ's death and resurrection. That's what is jumping out. Yes, his teaching matters. Yes, his example matters. Yes, he fulfills prophecy. All that is important. But the focus clearly in the Gospels is on the last week of Christ's life, his death in our place. It all slows down. We are in the slow motion phase of the Gospel of Luke. So, uh, last week we had um, young people, young preachers, most of them seminary students, step up and preach. Uh, we do that because we are committed as a church to try and launch people into service. We want everyone to serve. We want you to serve. We believe everybody wins if you serve, starting with you. And so we're always saying, look, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, Ephesians 2.10. Figure out ways to serve, inside and outside the walls of the church, whatever, serve. That's what we were created to do. So we're always trying to push people forward into service, and we pay particular attention to the fact that because we're close to a, um, a seminary, we've got, all these, we've got all these students in training to go into vocational ministry. And part of what you do if you're a, an MDiv student is, you know, you, you preach in front of the mirror, and then you preach in front of a TV camera, and then you preach in a preaching lab, and but you sort of at some point, you got to step in front of a real congregation and preach and see if that works. And so we, we do that. So we have eight and a half services every weekend right now. Uh, and so we had, 
we didn't have eight and a half. We had eight different people give messages uh, last week. And it didn't kill you, right? It's not like we asked you to be the first surgery patient for somebody, right? It's just, you listen to a sermon that's probably somebody's first sermon. We assign them Luke, the, the, the section in Luke 22 that focused on Peter denying Jesus. And so, the, but the middle of Luke 22, we get introduced to Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I'm not. I'm with you, even if no one else is. And then at the end of Luke 22, we have the account of Peter denying Christ three times, right? So we skipped a little section uh, about three-fourths of the way through Luke 22, and that's what we're going back to. This is a section easy to skip over. And uh, I almost decided to skip over it because you read it and you go, huh, uh, wow, what's that mean? And that's a little weird, but we're, one of the things about preaching through the gospel, you just sort of take these things as they come, and here we are, Luke twenty-two thirty-five and following. It says, then Jesus asked them, when I sent you um, without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? So he's referring back to Luke chapter 9 and 10. There was a section early on where Christ sent the disciples out on their first preaching assignment. And Jesus has a, Jesus has a management training program that he does not get credit for. He developed these, these people to launch the church. And remarkably, right, this group of rather undistinguished also-rans, relatively clueless, disciples launch this movement that continues to go today. Say what you will about the church. It's the oldest, largest, most geographically dispersed, most ethnically diverse institution on the planet, right? And it's still going. It's thriving. It's exploding right now in Africa, Asia, Latin America. It's still going. So one of the things I learned as a, as a management consultant is that organizations, companies that are big in one decade, are probably not going to be big the next decade. Some survive. But, but um, you know, and I, I, I just realized when I was consulting, wow, the big companies in the 80s aren't the big companies now. And the big companies in the 90s are often not the big companies, right? Google and, and Apple are, are, are relatively young companies. Right? Companies like AOL are gone. Right? They, they, were, they were like huge at one point, and now they're, they're nowhere. IBM is not what IBM used to be. Right? It's hard for an organization to last. Jesus takes this group of also-rans, and he uses them to launch the church. He doesn't really get credit for what a masterful developer of people he is. Now, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they change dramatically because of that as well. It's not just his training program, but he had a training program. Early on in Luke chapter 10, he sent them out. And when he sent them out, then the first time he said, this is going to be easy. Okay, You do not have to take money. You do not have to take a change of clothes. You do not have to worry about what you're going to say. You're going to go out and preach, and it's going to go well. Okay, So... He asked them, remember when I sent you out without purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, no, nothing, right? It was easy. God provided. We had everything that we met. People came to faith and repented. It was, it was fun. It was easy. It, it worked. 
So Jesus says uh, in verse 36, okay, yeah, now it's going to be very different. Okay? Now if you have a purse, in other words, if you've got money, take it. And if you have a bag, so you've got luggage, change of clothes, right, take it. Don't expect that people are going to provide for you. Don't expect that it's just going to be easy. Uh, be prepared to take care of yourself. And then, and this is what sort of gets everybody's attention, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. And you're like, really? Okay, a sword. So um, some people say, well, it's not really a sword, except here's the challenge with that. The Greek word here, materia, is... Um, it's not a sword. It's not like a, a soldier's sword, like a long sword. It's more of a dagger. But this is what Peter is going to use to cut off somebody's ear in just a few verses. Right? So when they go, it's just metaphorical. It's not a real sword. Well, yeah. <laughs> he used this metaphorical something to cut off somebody's ear in just a few verses. So I think it was sharp, whatever it was. Um, and it's a little shocking also because he says, if you, if you have a cloak... But you don't have a sword, sell the cloak. So you're going to go, I mean, this isn't like you're checking in at, you know, the Hilton where there's a place to sleep. When you traveled back then, you carried your, your sleeping blanket, right? It was a cloak. You were going to try and keep warm with that cloak. He says, you got a cloak, but you don't have a sword, sell the cloak and get the sword. Now, this is not a suggestion that everybody go out and get a concealed carry permit. I'll explain this in a second. Um, he goes on, when I sent you out without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they said. Okay, now if you have a purse, take it. If you have a bag, take it. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. And he says, he's going to quote out of Isaiah 53. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And, tell, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written is about, about me is reaching its fulfillment. So there's a very famous passage, Isaiah 53, that describes the crucifixion of Christ. It describes the crucifixion of Christ hundreds and hundreds of years, like 600 years before crucifixion was being practiced. Right? But, but you read Isaiah 53 and you go, this is crucifixion. Right? This is a prophetic passage, describes Jesus being crucified. Jesus is claiming that this passage, Isaiah 53, a messianic prophecy, is about him. And he's saying, look, I, I, I'm telling you, you've you got to be prepared. I'm about to be killed. And it's not going to be so easy for you either. Right? So that's, that's the, the thrust of this statement. So they re reply, verse 38, the disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. And Jesus says, that's enough. No, you, 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 I, think he, I think what he's saying is, no, you're missing the point here. Right? We're not... We're not focused specifically on you having two swords. First of all, um, two swords would not be enough, right? I mean, if they're going to try and overthrow the Romans, two, two daggers is not going to do it. Secondly, we know that, um, that as soon as they take out this dagger and, and Peter cuts off the ear of this centurion that's trying to arrest Jesus, Jesus says, stop it, stop it, stop it. My kingdom is not going to expand with force, right? You put, this, put your weapons away. You're missing the point. Now, it's, it's always complicated for Christians to figure out what to do with power, especially physical power. It's just, it's just hard. Now, we know that the kingdom of God is not going to expand 
by physical force, right? That you, you've got a gun and you say to somebody, repent and put your faith in Christ or I'm going to kill you. Okay? It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. That's not how the kingdom of God grows. At the same time, we know from what Paul writes in Romans and other places that, that the state needs to have power, right? That there need to be civil authorities, police officers, and military that, that stop bad guys, right? You've got to stop murderers and rapists, and you know, you've got to stop these things, or society doesn't work. So there's 2,000 years of reflection by people talking about how Christians should understand and use power and the checks and balances and just war theory and all kinds of stuff. Um, I sort of, when I read this, I thought of two, two specific instances that sort of helped, helped me sort of shape what Jesus is saying. One of them was a, was a, a person who used to attend Christ Church. Uh, we supported his wife doing a Ph.D. Uh, he had a Ph.D. when they showed up. You, through your giving, helped support missions. And one of the mission programs we had is we were helping this woman get a Ph.D. And then they went back to Africa. Uh, in particular, they went uh, to a city in Nigeria where there was a seminary. And he goes back, um, leaves here, they go back. He becomes the academic dean at this seminary. He's an academic. He's a very soft-spoken, mild-mannered academic. And uh, after he'd been back there a few weeks, they hear that uh, a group of radical Muslims were going to burn down the school and kill the people that were there. Now, let me hit pause for just a second. One of the other, one of the other people that we supported in their PhD studies that you supported um, is, is a guy who uh, has been studying Islam. So he, he pitched uh, that he wanted to do his Ph.D. on radical Islam uh, back in early September 2001. And the committee, hearing his, his defense, hearing a, the proposal for his dissertation study, said, no, we don't think that radical Islam is an interesting topic. So that was on September, uh, like, 5th. So they called him back on September 12th and said, wow, we think this would be a very important topic for you to study. So I I got in touch with him a few weeks ago and I said, so as I understood it, your claim 10 years ago was that maybe 10% of Muslims were, by your terms, radical. And uh, I said, what, what is it now? And help me understand that. And he says, well, yeah, it's most Muslims are folk Muslims. A lot of Muslims that, that, that are in the West are moderate Muslims. He said the number of, of Muslims actually willing to do violence against somebody to promote Islam is really, really, really small. He says less than 1%. But there's, there's about 17% that would identify as radical. It's nuanced. Let me just say... Most Muslims are not trying to kill anybody. This past week, I I met with the president of the Islamic Foundation in Libertyville to find out how are are Muslims being treated today here in, in, in this area. And what are your plans and what are your hopes and what are your aspirations? And I went to their service and talked with them. And, and so most, 
Muslims, I, I disagree with Islam, obviously. I think they profoundly misunderstand Jesus, but most Muslims are not radical. There are Muslims that are radical. And this guy who had been sitting here uh, a month earlier is now back in Africa. And he hears this group is going to come tonight and is, gonna, is going to burn down the school and, and you know, anybody that, that are in these buildings. And there's about 100 people, faculty and their families in these buildings. And so I said, well, what, what, did you, what, did you, what did you do? He said, well, we got shovels and axes and, and we got whatever we could get and we formed a perimeter around the school and we said, no, we're not, we're not going away, right? We're not, we're not attacking you, but we're not going to knuckle under to this threat. And uh, he said they approached and they saw us and they said some things and they turned around and walked away and the school is still standing uh, to this day. I, I think we also see a little bit of this in The Lord of the Rings. And, and we know that Tolkien was trying to talk about this. Tolkien was trying to write about this epic struggle between good and evil. He had been in World War I, traumatized by it, but he saw the need to stand up against evil. And so when the hobbits, Frodo and, and Bilbo and Merry and Pippin, when they're leaving the Shire, they don't need weapons in the Shire, but when they're leaving the Shire, they've got to have weapons. Because they, they have to be successful in the mission of stopping evil that they've been given. Right? So these things are nuanced and they're complicated and there's a lot of prayer and discussion to try and figure out how Christians deal with power. Jesus is, is referencing a little bit of that. But let's not miss the main point here. The main point here is be ready for things to be hard. <laughs> Remember when it was easy? Yeah, wasn't that fun? Yeah, it's not going to be like that anymore. Now it's going to be hard. And you need to be ready for it to be hard. And some of you need to hear, I need to be ready for it to be hard. Some of you are living hard right now. Some of you maybe not right now, but hard is going to happen. And you just need to hear yeah, I, I, this is what I was told. So it's, it's common today, especially in certain Christian circles, to talk about how bad things are. And, you know, you can go through the litany of things that are, uh, you know, okay, well, the, yeah, the, the inner cities have got issues, and pornography is ubiquitous, and, and debt is spiraling out of control, and North Korea's got nukes, and Russia's muscling up. And uh, you, you could, if you want to find things to say, it's bad, it's bad, I can't sleep at night, everything's getting bad... You can find that. Uh, and there, there are no doubt, there are things that are bad, right? I mean, it's an interesting moment. I think we would all agree with that. At the same time, life expectancy has never been longer. Uh, literacy has never been higher. We're about to wipe out extreme poverty. The Dow is over 20,000. I mean, there's a whole lot of things where you go, wow, there's a lot of things that are, in light of history, there's a lot of things that are going well here. I don't think we appreciate all the things we've got going for us, but I also don't think we're necessarily prepared for things to be hard. We should note, there are, there are uh, several dozen countries right now where it is illegal to be a Christ follower. And, and you know, we're not promised religious liberty. What we're told by Jesus is, 
yeah, no, they're, they're not going to like this message. And um, people die every day because of their faith in Christ. So I think we have to just step up and look at this passage and say, Jesus, in one of the last things that he says, he says, you need to expect it to be hard. And in this context, it's very specifically about advancing his kingdom. But I think hard generally is a message that we get from Jesus in the Gospels. Which raises the question, how do I become resilient? Right? How do I gain this ability to keep going? Now, there's, there's all kinds of different, I would say, levels of of resilience coaching that are going on out there. I mean, at one level, you got all these people saying, oh, you know, drink Red Bull and uh, take a cold shower every morning and you'll be tough. And, you know, you see, you got, you got, you got that, you know, listen to this motivational talk, watch this video and you're going to be inspired. And yeah, you know, some of that is interesting and it, it, it is a, it's a, it's a low level pick me up. Then there's all this, you know, be resilient, move a Navy SEAL into your house, get in the Tough mutter races, you know, I mean, do these difficult things to sort of strengthen your inner will and, and develop the right habits. I, I think there's, there's, some, there's some stuff there that works. There's some stuff there that's worth considering. I'm in... I personally am inspired by elite athletes and the things that they do, and you read their stories and you go, wow, it's really hard for them, but they find another gear, and there's another gear that I don't always access. I don't think when I'm spent that I'm only at 40%, but wow, I'm interested in those people that find another 30 or 40% to keep going. There's a whole bunch of stuff that is written right now when you talk about resilience that's sort of about preparing for, you know, Collapse and you need gold and guns and dried food and all of that. If you, just, when you, when you, if you go back and Google resilience and, and being prepared, right, you're going to get this at all levels. One of the levels, clearly, uh, that I think a lot is being written on, and I just think that this is just truth, is having good friends <laughs> to pick you up when you get knocked down. So I remember... Um, and I don't think I've shared this before. I've shared a lot about my stroke, but I remember this guy coming in and sitting on my bed and talking to me for about 15 minutes and asking me some questions. And then he gets up and he says, I think you're going to be okay. And I said, okay. I mean, at the time, you know, the room's spinning and I can't see, there's about four of him sitting on the bed. And I go, really? And what do you, who are you? And he goes, well, I'm the, I'm the floor psychologist. So, okay, and he said 80% of people that have strokes um, get depressed. He says, I don't think you're depressed, and I don't think you're going to get depressed. And I said, okay, because you just talked to me, and you've asked me some questions, and you've made that assessment. He says, yeah, he says, I see a lot of people in here. I see that you've got a lot of friends. I see that you've got a lot of support, because that makes a big difference. So uh, I think, you know, when we, when we come to this whole idea of resilience, there's a lot of there's a lot out there that talks about how we prepare to move forward when things get difficult. When we look at what Jesus is saying here and in other places, I think we come away with three very specific things. Number one, we, we need to be ready to be knocked down. Right? If you live long enough, you're going to suffer. Right? It's just, it's just, 
People you love are going to die. You're, you're going you're to lose your job. I mean, things will happen. It's just a broken world. This is not heaven, right? This is a world that's broken where sin is causing lots of destruction. Life, this side of heaven, is hard. And we need to expect it. And expecting it changes a lot, right? The opening line of road less traveled, life is difficult. Those who accept the difficulties find that it becomes less difficult. Those who do not think life should be difficult make up the neurotic, right? If you think life is going to be easy, it's going to be a lot harder than it needs to be. So Jesus says, remember when it was easy? Yeah, yeah, that was then. Now it's going to be hard, okay? Secondly, I think we have to have this eternal perspective. We have to shine our headlights beyond this life. We need that, we need that vision of what we're working towards, right? We pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're saying we want something different. We're praying for something different. We're praying for a place where your will is done, where, where love and grace and mercy sort of carry the day. And we, God is going to win, right? God is going to win, right? We get the end of the story. So even if it's hard for you today, you got to go, oh, look, I, this, word, this turns out well. In Christ, this turns out well. I need to keep going. And third, I think we just, we always need to be shaped by the gospel. The good news is not simply one-time news that we need to to place our faith in Christ and then move forward. The good news, the gospel should shape everything about us, right? We should be shaped by this idea that I'm more profoundly broken than I really realize, but that God's love, grace, and mercy is greater than my sin. When When I sort of face the fact that I'm broken and compromised and have all kinds of pride and, and greed and other issues, then I'm not expecting easy. Right? Well, let me be clear. I personally don't want justice. I don't know about you, but I do not want justice. I want mercy. I want grace from God. I don't want what I deserve. Right? The more I look in my heart, the more I say, no, I want, <laughs> I want Christ to take care of that. I want the goodness of God. And I think that that is a mindset shift. Look, I know some of you are struggling. You don't know. I, I talked to a woman late this week, and she said, you know, everything about my life is falling apart. What I can say today is I was a good mom to my son who's a jerk to me. Right? And I said, God bless you. Do it again tomorrow. <laughs> I just, I mean, love your son again tomorrow. Right? You can do it. You can do it. Keep going. Keep doing the right thing. Some of you are struggling. You don't know how much longer you can stay in a job. You don't know how much longer you can keep looking for a job. I mean, whatever it is, I want to say, yes, it's hard. Hey, maybe you're at 40%. You might think you're at the end. It's 40%. You can keep going. And God knows and, and, and the right way forward is to keep doing the right thing. And he's told us. Remember when it was easy? Yeah, it's not going to be easy going forward. They're about to kill me. Don't expect it to be easy for you. And uh, so hold on to that warning. Think about eternity and be shaped by the gospel itself. Let me pray for us. <clears throat>
Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for good news that we can rely on. Thank you for wise counsel to tell us how to prepare for the challenges that that we're going to face. I pray for those that are broken and hurting and have showed up today looking for some some encouragement. Father, may they sense your love and care, your awareness. May they they find an ability to say, I'm going to keep doing the right thing going forward. Meet with them, encourage them. We pray this and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.